You are listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary at IWU. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. One hundred episodes. Can't believe it. Here we are. 100 episodes in, and whenever we were thinking about who would be a person for the 100th episode, nobody came to mind. And then there was some news that kind of shook our Wesley Seminary community, our IWU uh, body, and that was that Dr. Ken Schenk would be heading to Houghton and taking his gifts and talents there to uh, do there what he has done so much for us here uh, in the founding of the seminary and the ongoing life of the university. And I thought, boy, this would just be perfect. Ken was gracious enough to squeeze into the final days of his time here in Marion, some time for the Wesley Seminary podcast. So I hope in this episode, you will hear some of Ken's story, some of his uh, memory, some of the ways that he has developed some theology out of it, theology for transition, theology for leadership, theology for vocation. Uh, I hope you'll hear some of that get teased out but I also hope that you'll uh, take some time to honor Ken with this, with your listening. If you know him personally, then you'll know why that's a gift. Uh, if you don't know him personally, then you'll get a bit of a personal snapshot of him in this episode. So thanks uh, to Dr. Ken Schenk, academic dean here at Indiana Wesleyan University and a vice president for innovation at Houghton in the days ahead. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this episode. 100 episodes and when i thought about who could we have for the 100th episode at first i didn't know and then some news came down the pipeline that dr ken shank was heading to houghton college and my office here at the seminary is on the second floor and i find that a really good picture of the privilege i've got to be at the seminary because there's a first floor that i kind of take for granted and likewise in the story of the seminary there's a first second third preface chapter that uh are there that if they weren't there then my chapter wouldn't be here either and so when i heard the news about your uh your transition ken and certainly uh, I'm mindful in my head about the contributions that you made to make this place possible. Uh, I thought, boy, it would be perfect to have you on for the 100th episode. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. When, how, how many years have you been doing the podcast now? Uh, well, 100 episodes, so year and a half. Year and a half. Yeah. Maybe back a little bit more. We started banking them up. So, you know, 20 months, maybe. It's uh, a lot. It's a lot. All right. Okay. So here, here's my question. Uh, when did you know you wanted to be part of starting a seminary? That's a great question. Um, so I've been doing a little review. Uh, part of my um, closure process is, is reviewing these last uh, 22 years at Indiana Wesleyan. And so I'm just now getting in my review process to the years right before the seminary started. Seminary started 10 years ago, just had the yeah. 10th anniversary service. And... Um, that, so 2009, it opened officially, and uh, but there was there were a few years before that some things that um, it's interesting that God's will. If you're no, maybe maybe I'm mucking it up, but if you're a Calvinist, God's will it seems to me is fairly simple. Everything that happens happens because of His will, and that's it. Um, as Arminians, it's it's interesting 
to, to think that there could be multiple possible futures and that God's will, as it were, dances with each one. And so there were a number of events that happened um, in, um, in the years uh, right before the founding of the seminary. Uh, and I was in the right place at the right time when those things were, uh, were developing, doors opening, doors closing. And um, Keith Drury, at one point, uh, he said to me, would you be willing to give five years of your life to be kind of the founding dean of, of the seminary? And I was. And uh, God gave me six years uh, with the seminary. And those were incredible years. Um, again, Keith, uh, you can tell that Keith is um, my probably the most impactful person in my life. Um, he once said, uh, you know, those are probably, that's probably the biggest contribution, you know, you'll make in your life, <laughs> which, you know, it's kind of sobering when you think, well, your best years are behind you now again. Um, but, uh, but what he was basically saying is how many, how many people get to be part of the founding of the seminary yeah. uh, in their life? Uh, not likely that I'll found another one or found a college or do anything like that. So, um, so these were really meaningful uh, years of my life in terms of, of what, what I think God purposed in me. So you had been involved at the IWU for 22 years. Um, so if I'm doing the math right, somewhere around 13, 14 years at the School of Theology and Ministry. Uh, I'd been, uh, the seminary started after 12 years. In, okay, so 12, 12, you'd been here for 12 years and you're doing ministry. It was obviously putting people into places of effective leadership and ministry uh, in that way. Uh, what about a seminary as opposed to university? Uh, what what drew you specifically to that? You're changing you're changing ages of students. You're changing focus of you know the focus, but you're changing certainly changing the, the mode of education that you're that you're going into. What you're going to facilitate? Um, was there anything in particular about that 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 caught your attention? Well, I did have a I had this kind of motto in those years, you know, real denominations have seminaries. So is the Wesleyan church a real denomination or what? Why do we have to outsource mm -hmm. our graduate theological training uh, to other places? Now, Asbury's great. I went to Asbury. I did. You went to Asbury. Yeah. Asbury's great. Um, so no hard feelings against Asbury, but it, you know, it's a Methodist institution or okay, technically it's not, but we all know that the majority of students are, are United Methodists. Um, and so it seemed like we could have a more um, uh, tailor-made kind of kind of place. And I felt like in those days, a, a vision had developed uh, for theological education um, in, the, in the, uh, what's now the School of Theology and Ministry. I felt like there was a vision for a local church-oriented education. Uh, that was focused on on the skills you needed to be able to do ministry. Uh, that 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 being the focus more than Bible theology, church history. I'm a I'm a New Testament person. I love the Bible, so I don't want in any way. The, the vision was never not to have Bible. That wasn't yeah. the point, but but to have a, a a seminary that focused primarily on the actual um, doing of 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 ministry more than to kind of to flip the balance. Uh, that was part of part of the vision. There used to be this this idea that you went to seminary and you lost your faith, uh, or that um, uh, seminaries were impractical. You know that 
uh, I had a, I have a relative who said, I never learned anything in seminary that actually helped me do ministry. I don't believe him, by the way. I think <laughs> I learned plenty, that, but, but it feels that way sometimes uh, for some people. So the idea was to have a seminary degree that actually equipped you to do the work of the ministry. And that um, one that was spiritually oriented, um, this was mentioned at the, at the 10 year uh, service that there would be spiritual formation every semester as part of the uh, uh, part of it, that it would be integrated. This was another one uh, that, that um, traditional seminaries tend to, you have your Bible courses and you have your homiletics courses and the two courses don't necessarily talk to each other. Mm -hmm. So the idea of creating a, a tapestry, that was a word that emerged fairly quickly, mm -hmm. a tapestry of Bible theology, church, church history, spirituality, and the practice of ministry uh, all together rather than isolated into disciplinary silos. Those were things that excited me. Yeah. So you're heading out to Houghton College, and undoubtedly you're going to encounter their own Ken Shanks, people that have been there for 22 years, who, who know the landscape, who have been part of the story, who had an idea 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that that got embedded in other people's imaginations and led to certain practices and policies. And, and now the new Ken Cheng's going to show up and we're going to ask questions about like, well, why, why do we do that? And, and maybe stumble upon some of those, those stories and people and things that have just been embedded there. Um, what's that feel like? What's it feel like to go to a, a sister's school for sure. Uh, one that we're interested in them doing well. And, and we know we're, more than just pulling in the same direction of the Christian faith, we're pulling in the same direction of, of Wesleyan church and the message that we believe we have to contribute uniquely to the, the wider church. Uh, what excites you about a, a brand new start? Well, I mean, uh, I would be lying if I didn't say that there's a little bit of, of uh, let me, I'll use the word respect, uh, a posture of respect that I'm, I'm um, assuming. Because uh, anybody who's gone to a new church, you know, changed pastorates, uh, changed jobs, um, there's the one kind of the bull, the bulldozing personality. Um, my my college uh, church leadership professor said, if you do more than two major uh, changes your first year in ministry, you'll be the third. Um, so so there is uh, there is a real respect that I'm I'm trying to a posture of respect toward the fact that this is an institution with a very very long and prestigious history um, uh, over you know hundred and for, uh, approaching 140 years old, I think, um, or 135, somewhere around there. Um, so this is a this is a, a institution that's it's not my institution. I don't have the right, you know, to to mess with it. Mm. <laughs> in, 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 and I hope that they're bringing me because uh, they sense a kindred spirit mm -hmm. and somebody who uh, values some of the things that they value. And um, whenever you bring in someone from the outside. It's almost inevitable that the DNA will be altered a little bit. Sure. And I, I take that as a not quite a sacred task, but it's almost a sacred, a sacred task um, because this is someone else's baby, you know, so, so to speak. And so um, I mean, I make very excited um, because I believe I believe in Houghton. I believe in the uh, uh, the the, the uh, high academic quality that it has produced over the years. And um, I think it, it has a lot to offer um, the church that um, I'm hoping that I can help the connectors um, between Houghton and, and uh, a lot of people who I think 
would really enjoy um, what it has to offer. So you mentioned about this sense of, of transition and this is academic setting to academic setting. You know, you, we run in our, in our circles and have our, our context of ministry and leadership. But that phrase, I think, is one that a lot of people can identify with of man sorting through God's will in a time of transition. What is it? What does it mean? Where might I be headed? What can I learn from where I am? How do I posture myself in the new place? How did you discern that now was really the time for you to make this change, that the Lord indeed was leading you in this change? Yeah, that God's will is a great, is a great mystery uh, to me. Um, it seems like sometimes uh, his will is very, very clear. Um, and uh, I've ex I experienced that with my call to ministry. I couldn't really tell my parents or anybody how I came to believe that God was calling me into ministry, but I knew. It was a very strange thing. I just knew. Hmm. There were no, I, had no, I had never had a second thought uh, once I came to that, uh, that conclusion. And I feel like the Houghton decision is a little like that. It seems really clear in God's will to me. There are other decisions where it's not that way. I feel like there are some decisions where the clock, you know, the, the, the second hand gets to the moment where you have to make the decision and you're not entirely sure what God wants you to do. And you just have to step out in mm -hmm. faith and knowing that God will, will sustain you and, and redirect you. But on this one, I really feel like the Lord brought an amazing number of, of uh, things together um, that uh, I'm not smart enough to plan. This came together fairly quickly, really. Um, went out uh, over the summer with my wife, and um, I feel like the Lord uh, led uh, the leadership there, uh, Dr. Shirley Mullen especially, um, to, uh, to fashion a role uh, that is, is really, you could hardly design a better role for my, my gifts. Um, I think almost everybody who hears the uh, the title is Vice President for Planning and Innovation. I think almost anybody who hears that title immediately says, oh, Ken, I'm not sure I want you to go, but that's exactly you. Yeah. And um, it's, uh, it's a, it's, I'm an idea person, if, if, you've, if you've met me. And um, I, I, my weakness, as is often the case with idea persons, is in the implementation and uh, with the details. Um, and so... Um, you know, when I was dean of the seminary, uh, Wayne Schmidt always used to, um, he'd say, I see, I hear you sighing again. And there was always a good chance that I was putting something into the online platform, you know, when I was sighing, <laughs> little details, click, clicks and clicks. Um, and so I, I can do details, uh, but uh, they're not um, what energizes me. So this, this was a job that, that is right up, up my, my gift uh, set. Um, number of other things here, um, I mean, to be honest, being part of the starting the seminary, being able to dream, I mean, the, the seminary is, is, the world is its parish. It can dream up anything. Um, and so uh, the idea of being able to dream again mm. uh, just really excites me. And um, I, I didn't feel like I was, uh, my dream quotient was being kind of exhausted in, in my, my current position. So there were just a number of things. I, I won't go into all the, all the details, but it was the right time. And my wife uh, was, I didn't know, I, frankly, I had no idea 
how she would feel. She's an extrovert. Houghton is notoriously um, in the woods, so to speak, you know, but she, she, we left just excited, both of us. So, so, I mean, hearing around like um, the affirmation of, of peers and colleagues, like they sure. can see you in the role, uh, affirmation of spouse, right? People that are, they're going to have real tangible, um, it's going to affect them in re very tangible ways. So we're empty nest this year. Um, so that, that factoring in just your own sense of, uh, intuitive sense of fit, right? This is, yeah. and, and, and excitement. Uh, I remember discerning my own move to, to the seminary and I was, as we had gone through the process and I was discerning if this would be a good place or not, there was multiple things going on in my own life that made it a, a complex choice. But one bit of embedded theology that I was finally able to realize was there and correct was the sense that, um, following God's will will require a certain amount of misery. I'm using misery in a technical <laughs> sense, a sense that like uh, it is lacking something that I need for life and godliness, that there is some kind of very real, very important deficiency. And uh, once I was able to tease that out, I don't mean suffering. Suffering is inevitable in life. And in God's call does not guarantee that we will not suffer. It probably guarantees that we will suffer in unique, in unique ways that he'll sustain us through and gives grace for us to uh, endure. Uh, but misery, the sense of like, there's, there's some kind of key deficiency. And once I was able to tease out that bit of embedded theology and correct it and, you know, critique it, like, where did that come from? Is that really true? Um, then it really helped me. Um, because I think those, just those transition times are, are so difficult. And so having some things around the side, like, is it, do, do others see me in this role? Well, does it, does my family or other people that I'm responsible to, or how are they going to do with it? How, what's their approach to it? Does it feel right in my, in my gut? Right. Kind of like all those things coming together forms a pretty good grid for us to consider, um, transitions. Yeah. Reminds me of, uh, Martin Wells now, um, had a book impressions and, um, I always, uh, it's a little, it's a, it maps a little bit to the quadrilateral, although not exactly, but one of them was of course, what do other people, uh, check your impression with other people. What do they think? Mm -hmm. Scripture, of course, is a prominent uh, part of that. Uh, common sense. Does this make any sense? So. See, I, and, and part of the reason is that I try to tease this out is sometimes, like you said, idea of people, they, they get driven by, by what's next, by what's ahead, what's new, is sometimes that, in, that uh, gut level excitement can mislead us. And, sure. I, and I've, I've watched people in ministry that I, I just, as I looked at the situation, I said, no, it's not time to go, right? You're a little bored, but it's not, it's not time to go. And, and yet, like you said, ideas people can sometimes be attracted to something new. As an ideas per person, you were able to stay in the wider university setting here 22 years. Yeah. What were some of the things that, that kept you here so that you knew you weren't chasing after a flash in the pan, so to speak? So maybe there's a pastor listening in and they're, they're discerning, is it God's time to go? And they're trying to say, is this God's leading? Or is this me being bored for a season? What were some things that kept you here that they might tune into to say, does that shed light on my situation? Well, there were, there were, um, of course, uh, as an idea person, there were the year from time to time I would flirt with, um, with an idea of going somewhere else. Um, uh, those doors never, never opened. Um, interestingly enough, uh, there was a, uh, there was a, a seminary that I flirted with a little bit and I, I think it flirted with me a little and um, that probably would have would have happened at a certain point but out of the blue came a particular 
crisis at that seminary. Um, and my, my, uh, for good or ill, again, I, God dances with our good and bad decisions. So I'll mm. let others decide whether my, uh, what I did in that crisis, whether it was good or not, but, but clearly the door, that crisis closed that door. Mm. I probably would have walked through it, mm. uh, if the door, uh, had, had opened, but the, the con confluence of things, um, uh, shut the door basically uh, on that. So, I mean, sometimes God, um, when I had those kind of idea uh, flirtations, um, the door was closed by by something uh, or another. Um, you know, being part of the the seminary here uh, gave my focus for six years uh, completely um, swamped and inundated with with um, the getting this thing off the ground. Of course, obviously, I didn't do it myself. Um, I, I do remember um, one meeting where John and Lenny, 2010, I think, had just been hired and pretty much had been myself, Bob Weitzel and Charles Arn designing everything up to that point. And I remember in that meeting, uh, either John or Lenny said, well, I can do that. And I had uh, probably the biggest sigh of my sigh of relief. Mm -hmm of my time in the seminary, realizing that now uh, I didn't have to, to do all that by myself. There were more hands on deck. Um, so the focus, the focus of what was just needed in those years um, kept me from being able to look up, let alone look around. I don't know if that answers your question. You might, you, I know you have thoughts here. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm trying, I'm trying to piece it together. You know, I'm hearing elements of responsibility to whom I'm, am I responsible? I think oftentimes in the West, we have just without any intention, we just have self-centered stories. And, and the, the question of meaning and purpose is one that we ask individually and, and of ourselves rather than even corporately in terms of our family, right? What's the purpose of our family? Knowing that, you know, as, a, as a, an adult, and I might be one of its leaders, but the story of my family is not strictly mine. Um, and, but it can be easy. And, and likewise for the church, the story of the church is not the story of the pastor. The pastor has to see themselves ensconced in the story of the church, which started before the, they got there. Even if they're the founding pastor, God was still at work in the community prep, preparing that um, before they got there. And the story of the church, by God's grace, is going to carry on after the pastor leaves. So I'm hearing that as one, right? Who, to whom am I, am I responsible in this story that, that it's, as, uh, it's about them or God's work in them and through them uh, and for them as well, in addition to me being, it being about me and for me and, and through me. Um, I'm part of, connected to that is, um, I know part of your work was to see who was, um, whose way could you make easier? And, and one of the things that I never had to, privilege of sitting under you as, as my dean, but one of the things that um, is told about you is the way that you would handle details. You would handle things to, to block, so to speak, for people to make their way uh, easier. And so I think that whenever you kept the, the nose to the grindstone and just kept focused on your work, um, probably some of the affirmation and, and affirmation of God that you're in the right spot was seeing others thrive around you. And I think that's one of the transitions that I sometimes see in church leadership. I, I have a buddy of mine that says uh, pastors go to a place until they use up their bag of tricks and then they, and then they move along. And 
inevitably that happens, right? We all, we all have limited gifts and skill sets and we can try and reinvent and add skills, but that we do come to the end of it. And there's a shift that needs to take place in the life of the leader in an institution that, that shifts from them doing things and, and impressing and, and driving things out of their energy to being one who is able to call that out of others and teach and, and give shape and guidance and freedom um, so that they're well-structured to, to thrive in it. And in that, you make a shift from the, the organization being about a personality to being about, about a team and multiple people emerging in it. You try to structure multiple personalities able to thrive rather than just facilitating the success of one individual. So I kind of hear that. How are you, to whom are you responsible? How could you help others, uh, others flourish? Um, I'd like to hear one more thought about this because it's something we've talked about in private, um, but that's the notion of gratitude, right? I, I consistently hear you discuss ways, uh, giving praise to others, expressing your gratitude for the work of others. How did gratitude form uh, uh, a pin, so to speak, into your, into your time here so that practicing gratitude kept you here for the right amount of time and not, not uh, unnecessarily shortening it? Well, I wish I could, I wish I could say I was a saint uh, <laughs> and that I'm always grateful. Um, a lot of times by the time it gets to my mouth, I'm grateful. Um, you know, I, I used to, I was thinking about this. I used to compliment people of faith. I said, you are just so Christ-like. I, I so much appreciate your, your character and your model. And a lot of times people would say, well, you just have no, you just don't know me that well, or you don't know, you know, and I, I this is probably not, not complimentary on myself, but I've come to, to realize how many contrary thoughts I have you know, in my head and when I'm, when I'm on my own. Mm. But, um, uh, as, as James, James one says that, um, when, when it's conceived, it becomes sin. And so at some point you get to a choice where you have to decide, you know, to be grateful. Um, and that's the right choice. That's the choice that God wants us uh, to make. And, and I am immensely grateful. Uh, to Indiana Wesleyan University. I mean, I, I had dreams of teaching at the University of Durham, you know, or, or uh, you know, University of Chicago, you know, some, something, some high research uh, institution. And um, I was, I'm, in, I'm eternally grateful that Indiana Wesleyan took a chance on me. I, I think Dr. Benz, Bud Benz, you know, he said, I'm not sure about this, this guy, you know, I'm not sure about him. Um, but uh, he took a chance on me, they took a chance on me. And um, I always been incredibly, um, has blessed me uh, with these years, these 22 years. And um, I've learned things I didn't wanna learn. Um, <laughs> but very, and this is the thing, they're more valuable than the things I wanted to learn. Wow. Um, it's, a strange, it's a strange thing. If I, if I had been left to my own devices, I would have buried my head in some arcane bit of ancient, knowledge. Um, but uh, IWU uh, forced me to, um, to focus on the things that actually uh, help ministers uh, that are more, more useful for ministry um, rather than my, my pet projects. I wonder if that's, I don't know, what do you think? I wonder if that's a truth that, that we are most, we contribute our most to the kingdom, uh, not when we are pursuing our pet desires and projects, but when, when uh, our context holds us to the things that the, the kingdom most benefit the kingdom. I don't know. You ever, yeah. What do you think about that? Uh, well, 
I've, I've got two thoughts that come about. One is you mentioned gratitude and sometimes gratitude not being the immediate response, but the, the developed response, the considered response. And what came to mind is gratitude can sometimes be slow in developing. Um, and that in itself is a grace, that if we learn that gratitude is slow in developing, then our initial reaction to something doesn't need to be our final one. So if something is initially frustrating, that doesn't need to be the final one. Now, maybe, maybe frustration is the right response, you know, situations are complex, et cetera, et cetera. But if I'm, if I'm just of the mind that my initial response isn't the one that I have to hold on to, um, and that gratitude indeed may be slow in developing, then I think that helps me. Um, by God's grace, I, I was usually, I was normally just too, too scared to make quick changes. <laughs> and I consider that God's grace that, uh, if God had allowed me and given me uh, a sense of courage that allowed me to make quick changes, God only knows where I would be. And so, uh, I'm glad that he, he shut me in from time to time. And I think that that connects with the, the second point. Um, I sometimes teach when I'm teaching ordination theology, uh, we'll, we'll inevitably get into a discussion about ordination theology boxes people in. And there's a line that, that Kevin Myers once gave to a group of us. I was fortunate to be in a group he was teaching. And he said, uh, people think that because I'm at a big church, uh, at 12 Stone Church, because I'm at a big church, and I've got lots of freedom. He said, the truth is I, I live in a box, but this big. And he, you know, he made right. like a, a little inch, yeah. by, inch by inch statement. Has he, have you heard him say that I before? I think maybe I've heard you say that. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and when I look at ordination theology, that, that's kind of it ordination boxes you in that you've got multiple people asking about your life, examining your life, making sure that your life is on track. And that can feel curtailing that can feel restricting, but thank God for it. Like who knows what I would be doing if I, if I didn't think somebody was consistently looking over my shoulder and, and had a vested interest in me. Um, so to your point about the, the community calling us to that, which is, is necessary or, or putting us in a place that, that we're not just stuck in our own, uh, pet interests. I'm, I'm thinking about that as, as God's grace. And at times the community does say, go, go and do, and, and put, put that into you, go and pursue that. I'm thinking, you know, um, different money that's made available for doing research and you go through a process. Um, and in that case that the community is affirming that, right? They are saying, go, go and do and study that. But they're always reminding us, but there's a point to it because you're serving us with that, right? We're making, we're making possible and you're serving us. And, and when I think about that in the local church is um, just reminding our people that the, the work that God has called them to do in and for the church should have a sense of being freed up. Oh, this is what I'm made to do. But at the same time, it's perfectly bound to the church that, that they are giving back and serving the church and kind of this reciprocal of, of giving freedom in order to receive free service back, you know, and it's not, you can make that contractual and sometimes that's appropriate, but you can also look at that as God's means of grace, right? The, the affirming word of the community given to us and the, the grace of God to receive our service, not just as something for ourselves, but for his, for his church too. Uh, waxed abstractly. I don't know if it all tied together or not. What do you think? I think my personality is, uh, I have a tendency to complain. It is my, my, my melancholic personality or whatever it is. And, and I have so much to be grateful for. I, this is something I, I ever, I, Quite frequently, I think, Ken, you have such a blessed life. There, there are so many things that God has given you. 
And yet I think it's, it's a human tendency for many of us to always be unhappy with, with what we have. And um, that idea of, of orienting ourselves toward gratitude to God and being thankful and recognizing the good, not focusing on the, the half empty, but the, um, the five sixth full or whatever it is, <laughs> that um, that's, that's, a, that's I need to grow in that area and uh, pray for me because I have a tendency to always, always, maybe this is part of the dreamer. The dreamer always sees what isn't and what could maybe could be um, and maybe misses, what was that old song, Don't Fall in Love with the Dreamer? No, um, misses, the, um, misses the greatness of, of what's going on, you know, at the moment. And so that's, that's something I, 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 uh, I hope that I can maintain that thankfulness. And, and it's definitely a tension. I mean, you don't, you don't go about participating in the founding of a seminary without discerning that there's a need it can fill. And so there has to be a certain amount of discontentment with the way things truly are, or, or at least with the way things are as you, as you see them. Um, and at the same time, uh, angst doesn't, isn't a lasting fuel. You know, angst, angst runs out. There's got to be a level of, of uh, being entrusted to God, that God is, is providing as much as is needed in the moment to sustain us, that God is, is going to carry us into what the, the future has. And that is fueled by gratitude, just as look, looking back. I once had Victor Hamilton say this, and it shaped the way I read scripture. But it, it, he said, we often in the West think about the future, and we look ahead into the future. And he said, a more Hebraic way of doing that is to turn around. Then he spun. He said, you look at the past, and you back your way into the future. And what a difference that made, as I, as I remember, as I started reading scripture for the work of memory then. And that's really some of the gift you've been giving to us, is, is remembering what God has done through these uh, years of you at, at Indiana Wesleyan. Um, that was some of the work we did at the 10-year anniversary of remembering what's God done here at, at Wesley Seminary. And not to box God into that, so to speak, but, but really to set the parameters for us for wisdom. Right. If this is where God is doing, if this is what, what God is doing, if this is where we have come from and he's kind of angled us, then that helps to set our trajectory so that we're not chasing after just that which is new, but we're taking faithful steps, discerning what, what might God do next. Yeah, I, um, I don't think, um, sometimes I think ideas aren't necessarily addressing deficiency, but, but God kind of sparks this, this potential thing that maybe what you have already is good, uh, but God uh, says, look at this, this opportunity. So I, I've, not, I've not always, and I'm not sure, even with the seminary, I'm not sure that with the founding of the seminary, we were thinking, oh, all seminaries are horrible. Um, it, was more, it was more, we have this opportunity to make something different and special. And not necessarily, even that, it wasn't necessarily that traditional ways of doing seminary were bad. It was more like why reinvent the, the wheel? Uh, we, we have a unique DNA that can start something that isn't being done. And, um, and so, so I don't, I don't want to necessarily say that we looked at all other seminaries and said, well, you all need to close, you know, um, there was, a, there was a sense of opportunity. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, now I'm now I'm trying to think back what I said and say that it, it seemed like I, <laughs> I was casting this judgment onto no, other not, places. 
no, not necessarily. No, no, no. <laughs> just, just. Um, I think some for idea people. There are idea oh. people. Mandy Drury is an idea person. I don't think. I don't think she necessarily looks at a situation and says, "We can improve on this." Or I think she just she just has the spark of of um, of creativity. Um, this is a thought. I again, you edit this however you want. Um, a thought I've had is that sometimes people. Uh, who are dreamers aren't necessarily trying to fix something. They just see they see a reality that can be, and and want to be free to. Hmm. Let let me test this out on you. That could we say that the work the the inspiring work that was given to you was was not uh, necessarily a correction to what was going on, but could it also be a reaffirmation? of the best of what others were doing. By that I mean, um, other, other churches aren't in competition with other churches. I mean, you can say like, well, what about one's teaching false doctrine? Well, sure, I mean, but, but within the wide banks of, of Orthodox Christian faith, churches aren't in competition with one another, but man, it can sometimes feel like that. In the, in the wide banks of theological education, yeah, seminaries aren't in competition with one another. Uh, but it, it can feel like that. And I think that what I would love to see part of my work doing is as I live in the second floor, right? As I'm part of chapters five, six, seven, whatever, wherever we are in the story is, is man, I really want to be one that um, is sparking excitement and hope for uh, a future of theological education. That, that this isn't, Seth Godin calls it the race to the bottom. It's not that we're trying to do a race to the bottom. That, that can, we, can we be the best at, at doing something that's going away? But can we be a sign that God hasn't given up with theological education? Formal, informal, however we want to do it. Um, however, whatever it looks like, but that God is not done. That this is a sign that, that Christian faith in the West is, is not done. You know, I think about Jeremiah, and they think, boy, the people are going to die out once they're into, into exile. And he says, no. Plant, plant gardens, build homes, you know, and, and, and start living life. Not because things are, are done, but as a sign that God is not done. And I think that is, maybe, maybe that's, that's kind of what I'm hearing whenever you talk about like the spark of opportunity and something new. It's not to cut off from the, it's not to cut off from whatever else is happening, but it's like a shot in the arm. Like, no, God isn't done. If he can do this new thing here, what else can he do for, for others? Yeah. I mean, there was some adjustment. I mean, obviously yeah. there was adjustment. Um, but you, you, I know, know the story of Kodak. You know how that they thought that their their business was um, making pictures when they might have they might have reassessed what their business was in terms of preserving memories mm -hmm. or, or, or something. Um, I like the the theme of a new song that I've heard um, in these last couple of years at Wesley. Um, again, it's the idea of um, not not changing everything from the past, but of finding what God is doing in the present. And, and as you say, theological education is not going away because as long as there's a church, mm -hmm. there will need to be um, uh, training in righteousness and, mm -hmm. and so forth. And so um, maybe, maybe a little bit of adjustment, but also God opens up just new, new avenues, new ways of, of doing things, um, new accessibility, um, as uh, Dr. Durr uh, mentioned at the 10-year anniversary, new ways to, to bring 
bring theological education to new places. Mm -hmm. uh, so we are just about wrapping things up. We're just about running out of time here. Um, I wonder if you would have uh, one final word to those people that you have helped make their education possible, the, the pastors or the people who are discerning a call and given the circumstances of life, uh, Wesley Seminary is the place that God has for them. What would you say to those students who are maybe just starting or maybe just discerning, like, is God calling me? Is the call of God on my life taking me to education there? What would you say to those would-be or emerging students? Well, I have loved every student, every student uh, that I've ever had. I, I have loved. In fact, sometimes I, uh, I'll see students on the residential campus after the semester's over. And there have been times when I walk by them and I'm waiting for them to look at me to greet them and they don't look at me and I'm like, I know who you are, you know? <laughs> uh, I'm your friend just because the course is over. And um, I feel like uh, Wesley Seminary has been that place uh, where the students know that they're loved and they know that they have mentors here. This is not a place that, where the professors are going to, ha, <laughs> failed another student. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's just not, not what it's about. Even though you have dressed up like Professor Snape. <laughs> In the past, I have, yes. Um, uh, Professor Shank. So, Severus Shank. Severus Shank. <laughs> but um, uh, the seminary faculty love the students. They want the students to succeed. Uh, they uh, mentor the students. They want uh, the students to have a, uh, a blessing in ministry. Uh, we used to say that a lot of times a person will get into ministry, they get five, ten years out, and they run out of uh, fuel. And it's kind of like, I don't know what to preach anymore. And that's a good time to, uh, to sign up for seminary uh, because uh, maybe you reached your capacity. When, if, if, you, if you did undergraduate ministry training, you know, maybe you got as much as you could out of that uh, training at that age, you know, and five years later, ten years later, you may hit that need for entire sanctification, you know, the need for, for uh, a second level blessing of academia, uh, not, not uh, abstract academia, but academia that is targeted to help you in ministry. And Wesley Seminary is that kind of a family uh, atmosphere, as Dr. Durr says, we're Wesley. Ken, thank you so much, not just for taking the time today, last 45 minutes or so, but uh, for the investment you made that made uh, meaningful work on behalf of many, including myself, I pray that it's meaningful, um, possible. Uh, we, are not, we are not here without your taking those five years and giving yourself to them, or six years. As it turned out. Done. <laughs> uh, but it wouldn't look the same. And I think that's, that's the mystery of providence, right? That, that God takes broken and and limited people and brings good things out of them such that the story is is in many ways a delight and and is in many ways a, a good thing Amen. so if somebody else had have done it then they would have been sitting in that chair but but they didn't you did and so so i'm i'm saying thank you to you and i know i speak for other faculty with that in mind and whether they knew you or not graduates who have been part of the work that you set up i say thank you on their behalf as well um we wish you all the best in your new endeavors. And I think I said it before, hopefully you're not simply taking your influence from here and transporting it to Houghton, but hopefully it stays here and continues with you across the Indiana and Ohio and Pennsylvania uh, journey to New York. And it, trans it, it, uh, 
it goes across the whole distance. I see my family expanding, not uh, switching. Yeah. Uh, I love it. My family and I have moved a couple of times, and I, I say, like, I feel like I've got three different homes and in different places where God has been gracious to bring us in addition to the home here we have in Marion. So, uh, listeners, thank you for tuning in as well. There isn't a podcast without listeners, just like there's not a podcast without guests. There isn't a seminary without deans and people who founded it. There isn't a seminary without states. So, uh, hey, maybe your your sanctification is rubbing off on me, Ken, and I'm becoming a grateful person even in this conversation. <laughs> so thanks, Ken. Thanks, listeners. We hope this has been valuable to you. Check out some of the other resources, the other 99 podcast episodes that have been made available through the Western Seminary Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, and have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.